Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Joe Zimmel and Valerie Friedman. From Connecticut Public Radio, this is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Ned Lamont has a name recognition after running for the U.S. Senate and in the 2010 Connecticut governor's race. And up until one week ago, polls showed him leading this year's five-way race for governor. That's not the case anymore, according to the latest polls that find Lamont in a statistical tie with GOP candidate Bob Stefanowski. Now, how does Lamont plan to engage potential voters with just 11 days to go before Election Day? And what questions do you have for him? You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. You can also find us on Facebook Live. You can just search for where we live on Facebook and add your question or comment below that live video stream. I want to welcome Ned Lamont back to the show. Nice to see you again. Hi, Lucy. Great to be here. So let's just get right to it. A new poll from Sacred Heart University in Hearst, Connecticut, finds that you and uh, Bob Stefanowski are in a statistical tie. How do you respond to those poll results? Who cares? we got 11 days to go. It's all about uh, turnout. It's all about making people realize how important an election can be. I think two years ago, we found out in Washington, D.C., in the White House, how important an election can be if you don't turn out. And uh, I just got to remind people uh, every day that uh, there's an enormous difference between me and Bob Stefanowski in terms of where we want to take this state. He would have a, um, a tax scheme that would eliminate taxes for um, $1.4 billion in taxes for the 400 richest families in the state. And I argue, you know who's going to pay for that? Hartford and our small towns in terms of higher property tax and hits to education. And I'm going to slowly reduce the property tax, but I've got to be honest with people where we go. There's a big choice in this mm-hmm. election. You said that you don't care about the poll results, but your campaign must be doing internal polling to figure out you know, where your strengths are in the state of Connecticut and where your weaknesses are. And what are what is uh, your campaign telling you on how you need to work better to engage voters? I think there's a fair number of people who are mad as hell and not going to take it anymore. And uh, there's definitely that group out there that says uh, – both parties have been a mess, or I blame everything on Malloy. Let's, uh, you know, throw it out and start again. Uh, it's sort of the same attitude you saw with Donald Trump two years ago. And uh, so I've got to convince people that, look, I represent real change. I'm going to go in there. I'm going to hold down um, taxes. And more importantly, I'm going to streamline and reduce costs for state government. I know how to do that. I come out of business. That's what my background is. I understand that people are frustrated. I understand that the middle class is getting slammed. But we got to do it in an honest and truthful way. So when you're out there uh, on the campaign trail, how are you actually engaging with voters and, and specifically Hispanic and black voters who we're hearing from who feel like, uh, you know, none of the candidates really are appealing to them? So how are you doing that? I don't know about that. I think people get engaged late. And uh, you're right. Probably a couple of months ago, we could have used uh, a little more energy. But uh, I was in uh, New Haven yesterday, and we uh, marched for jobs with about 300 uh, people in uh, downtown New Haven. I was in an event in Bloomfield yesterday, uh, overwhelmingly African-American, and uh, we needed a bigger house. So I think that people understand what's at stake. And uh, if you're um, 
If you're living in a city, if you're a person of color, you know that um, eliminating the income tax, eliminating $10 billion out of our budget would be a big hit to our cities and a big hit to our kids. Um, coming up, we're going to talk more about specifics about your plan. But, you know, just to follow up on, you know, reaching uh, black and Latino Hispanic uh, residents in the state of Connecticut, you know, when you were on the show uh, prior to the primary, we asked you about your decision to choose Susan Bysowitz uh, as your running mate. Uh, do you still stand by that decision? Because if you had chosen someone like Eva, uh, would she have been the kind of person that could have energized uh, the cities to come out for you? Look, Eva's been great. She did a radio ad. She's campaigning for us. But Susan Bicewitz is a really good running mate for me. And let me tell you why. You know, politics is politics. And, um, but more importantly, she knows Hartford. She was in the legislature. She was secretary of state. She knows her way around. I'm the outsider. I was the entrepreneur. I like to take on the status quo. I'm going to come up here and shake things up. She's going to help me get it done. Oh, you mentioned that, the, the, again, that the, po- the latest poll results showing that you're neck and neck with uh, the GOP candidate. That's not something that is concerning to you. But, but what about the same poll finding that more unaffiliated voters, which are the largest group of voters in Connecticut, are actually more likely to vote for Bob Stefanowski? Well, I think, A, a lot of them are Republican-leaning. They also voted for a Tom Foley uh, last time around. But I, I want to do a better job of reaching out to them. I mean, let's face it. um, I've run twice before statewide. I've never really taken on a Republican before. I took on Joe Lieberman because I thought he was wrong in the war in Iraq. And I took on Dan Malloy because I didn't think he would make the big changes we needed to turn the state around. So now I'm making up for lost time and not running against one but two Republicans in Oz and Bob. Um, I've got to convince independents that I'm my own man. And uh, I'm going to go out there and um, make the changes I need and let the political chips fall where they may. That's what I've done my whole life. You know, in business, I took on the big um, cable conglomerates and took them on. In politics, like I said, I took on my own party when it was necessary. You're hearing Ned Lamont in our studios today here on Where We Live. Again, he's the Democratic-endorsed candidate uh, in the five-way governor's race. And you can ask a question of Ned, the number 860-275-7266. You can also find us on Facebook Live today. Just search for Where We Live, add your question below the live video stream. And as always, on Twitter, at Where We Live. Uh, I'll take a call um, when my cursor decides to work. Here we go. Peter from North Haven. Peter, go ahead. Uh, Yes, I think it's great that Ned Lamont is there. He doesn't miss any of the events, especially something like this, like Bob Stefanowski, Dick is, uh, you know, we want someone, no one wants to look foolish or uninformed, out of touch with an important interview that the candidates have on the important forum like this. And uh, also, time is now to avoid risky business strategies while gambling on Connecticut's future success and financial stability. Ned Lamont is better informed, more knowledgeable more flexible, open-minded, more accessible, and available to respond to Connecticut voters. We do not need to replace one of our nation's low-performing, low-ranking leaders with someone who would likely disappoint Connecticut taxpayers. All right. Thank you, Peter, uh, for your call. We've got a lot of calls lined up, so I want to take another one. Uh, Paul's calling from Ellington. Paul, go ahead. Uh, Hi, Ned. I'd I'd like to ask you a tough question. I don't want to you know, be at the heavy here. Um, uh, It's a yes or no question. And if your answer is no, uh, could you tell us why? Will you move to repeal the 2017 CBAC agreement? Uh, no. Uh, I'll tell you why. Uh, that's a 10-year court case, and it's the wrong thing to do. Uh, 
I am the one candidate for governor who respects labor, understands that our, our pension problem is not the fault of our teachers, not the fault of our state employees. It's not their fault that um, governors uh, going back a generation uh, didn't honor their commitment. And frankly, I come from the private sector. You would have gone to jail if you make promises uh, and then don't um, honor the commitment in terms of uh, funding of the pensions. That said, I think I'm the one person that actually uh, sit down with labor and uh, and and collective bargaining means bargaining. It means honest negotiation. It means good faith negotiation. But um, no, I would not be the candidate or governor that tears up the agreement, walks away and says, take me to court. That's not the type of person I am. That's not the type of state we are. Under the Malloy administration, uh, you know, we have heard and, and seen how um, the administration has asked for concessions uh, several times. Um, how do you think uh, that will play out again? Because you've got this uh, more than $4 billion deficit, if you're elected governor, that you have to figure out how are you going to plug it. And, uh, you know, there's only so much that you can do because of those labor agreements. And you said that you wouldn't want to uh, go to court, as some of your other candidates uh, the candidates have suggested, uh, to break uh, these p potential agreements. So um, how do you do it, Ned? Well, first of all, it's only a $4 billion deficit if I don't deal with the $2.5 billion deficit in the first year in an honest way. And uh, when Oz and Bob say, hey, we'll maybe uh, take some money from the rainy day fund, you're right. Then you're just going to push that deficit to the next year, and then it could be a $4 billion. I think that's the exact wrong way to go. I think you need a governor who's going to go in and tackle this deficit head on. I think I want to do that in year one. And where do you go? I go where the money is. Willie Sutton, right? Right now, there's a lot of money in health care. That's one of the few places where we have, quote, discretionary spending or money that I can have more control over. That's about 25% of the budget, Lucy. That's uh, not just Medicaid, but it's also state employee and retirees. And uh, we pay much too much for drugs, much too much for pharma. Other states like New Jersey have uh, put together very aggressive bids. They've used their purchasing power, and they've saved hundreds of millions of dollars by reducing the cost of pharma. We can do that alone, or maybe I can do that with Gina over in Rhode Island. I can do that with Charlie Baker over in... Massachusetts, get together, use even more purchasing power, drive down those costs. Those are the type of ways that we're going to save some real money up front. That sounds like that could take some time in negotiating. Uh, your opponent mentions that um, if uh, Connecticut residents elect you, that you would um, hike up uh, taxes. What would you say to people listening now? Well, Bob Stefanowski is going to uh, eliminate the income tax, which obviously uh, – really only um, helps, you know, the most wealthy uh, folks. And um, I can't afford to do that. I think it's a fake promise. Uh, I'm going to hold the line on that. I am going to, um, A, put money in education, which means your local town, Willimannock and Sonia, won't have to jack up its property taxes. And I even have a plan to have a small reduction in property tax, which we do through the, through the um, individual income tax. So $300 cut for your property tax in the first budget up to $1,500 in the second budget. But that will cost the state money to do. How do you, how do you then make, give that property tax credit uh, to some uh, residents and then with this promise of still funding uh, public schools? Well, remember, the property tax credit I've got in the first uh, budget costs – uh, $140 million. 
compare that to the uh, 10 or $11 billion they're talking about yanking from the income tax. So at least put these in the scale. Uh, and $140 million, uh, we've, we've paid for that through a tax on sports betting and uh, looking at the sales tax and how we can more effectively enforce that. Uh, so um, you mentioned looking at the sales tax and how you could effectively enforce that. So you're talking about um, online where people are purchasing and not paying the tax back to the state of Connecticut? or Well, both. But uh, right now we, um, we, we fail to collect, uh, you know, 30, 40 percent, you know, high percentage of the sales tax revenues that are due. Some of it's cash economy. Some of it's uh, companies that are, you know, too small. You know, I don't want to hassle, but uh, I think we could do a better job there. And, but your other point is well taken. You know, Lamont's watch out for Lamont and taxes. Well, I just think it's fundamentally unfair that our Main Street businesses, uh, retail, all have to collect sales tax and remit that back to the state. And too many of the big online out-of-state internet retailers don't. They don't collect the uh, sales tax. It costs our state hundreds of millions of dollars. And it unlevels the playing field. It's an unfair playing field for our Main Street businesses. If you want... Main Street here in Hartford to come back to life, part of it is allowing our Main Street guys to compete fairly. Uh, Ned Lamont's here on Where We Live. You can join our conversation, 860-275-7266. I wanted to go back uh, to a strategy that your opponent is using, um, mentioning that if if residents vote for you, you'll raise taxes. You say that's not the case. But he also ties you to Dan Malloy, and he is a a very unpopular governor. Do you think that that strategy of of tying you with Dan Malloy's name is going to cost you this race, Ned? If Bob had something to say on his own plan, he would stop talking about me constantly. Um, most of his ads don't even mention uh, his name. You know why? Because they're independent expenditure ads, and they can't. All they can do is make up stuff about me. All right, I'm my own man. I took on Dan Malloy eight years ago. Uh, I challenged him. I didn't think he was going to make the big changes we needed to do. And Bob didn't even bother to vote. Uh, So let's put that on the table first and foremost. Um, I'm going to go up there and make the big changes we should have done eight years ago. We should have done 18 years ago. And secondly, stop blaming the past. Who does that help? I mean, you want me to – I can knock John Rowland. I mean, he inherited a surplus, promised to eliminate the income tax. And how did that work out? More importantly, nobody cares. They want to know where we're going now. What are you going to do on November 7th? What are you going to do when you take office? How are we going to get this state growing again? As the first guy who started a business and created jobs in um, generations, I have a very different background than Dan Malloy. He was a prosecutor early in his career. I was an entrepreneur. I was a business person. Um, When I built telecommunication systems, we weren't Republicans or Democrats. We were building a system on schedule, on budget. And if it all worked out, we had a pretty good party uh, the next week and then lived to uh, fight another day. And I think we need a little bit more of that attitude in Hartford. I want to ask you again, your first job, uh, if elected, would be to uh, put forth a balanced budget. Uh, the General Assembly, uh, there are key elections also November 6th where uh, the the Republican Party might be able to finally have control of, of the House after uh, many decades. And, and you know that the state Senate is at a tie. Um, how would you work across the aisle because of the, the deep partisanship that has been shown, not just here in Connecticut, but across, across the country? Well... I'm going to work with anybody that's ready to honestly come to the table and solve this thing. Hey, Len Fasano. Hey, Themis. uh, Come on in. Uh, Marty, Bob, I I need you here at the table. Maybe you guys haven't talked in a long time. I know the governor wasn't even in the room for the last cycle. 
uh, you are going to be part of the solution. I don't need you sitting on the sidelines throwing spitballs. You got a good idea. Um, let's run with it. I'll give you the credit. I'll take the heat for the tough decisions. I'll say the same thing to business and labor. I need you at the table. No more blaming each other. You know, business, I need your help. I need your help, um, you know, really in terms of job training and making sure that you are working collaboration with our uh, community colleges and uh, we're training people for the tens of thousands of jobs we can't fill right now. I want to bring down the cost of community college. Maybe like Pratt Whitney, um, you get a certificate or degree in laser welding, take a job at Pratt, they forgive your student loan. Those are the type of strategies that would allow us to make um, education and workforce development a lot less expensive. And at the end of the day, we don't need more taxes. We need more taxpayers. We've got to start growing this economy again. I know how to do that. This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Ned Lamont is here. He's a Democratic-endorsed candidate for governor. He's also here to answer your questions. We're going to take your uh, questions uh, and your phone calls right after the break. The number, 860-275-7266. Also find us on Facebook Live. Just search for Where We Live. This is where we live from Connecticut Public Radio. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. The Democratic candidate for governor is here with me today. Ned Lamont is also here to answer your questions. The number, 860-275-7266. We're on Facebook Live. Search for Where We Live. You can add your question below the live video stream. And as always, find us on Twitter at Where We Live. Sean's calling from Greenwich. Sean, go ahead. Hi. Uh, Ned, you have said that you will not balance the budget on the backs of teachers. Uh, I'd like to ask you about the pension obligation bond, which is out there, which is forcing contributions to go very strongly up over the next few years. Do you intend to call that bond and refinance it with more reasonable bond covenants, or would you uh, renegotiate those covenants with existing bondholders? Hey, Sean, how you doing? Um... Yeah. Let me tell you what we do in the teacher's pension fund. And, and Sean um, uh, accurately described the fact that we got a, a bond covenant on there. We you know, did a pension obligation bond in 2008 or something, probably the worst possible time we could have borrowed money to buy equities. But again, let's look forward. Uh, I would do two things uh, with the, on, on the teacher pension fund. One, I would um, do a better job on the asset side not just in terms of investments, but actually put more assets into uh, the teacher's fund. A lot of people have talked about, and I'm sympathetic to putting the lottery, uh, right lock, stock, and barrel into that fund. It would represent, you know, $300 million a year into the teacher's pension fund. and also represents, um, you know, $5, 6000000000 billion in asset value. As part of that, to Sean's question, I would like to go back uh, to the bondholders. Uh, I would say, look, we're going to honor our commitments. We're going to honor our commitments to the teachers. But to do it over the next seven to ten years would push us over a fiscal cliff that we cannot afford to do. So like we did on the um, state employee fund, I'd like to re-amortize that um, bond and pay it out over 20 years, not over 10 years. That would lower um, a bit our annual contribution, but more importantly, smooth it out so we can afford to do it. 
Pretty technical question, Sean. Thank you. Uh, we were talking about uh, ways to, to cut spending and dealing with the, the big multi-billion-dollar uh, liabilities that, that the state of Connecticut uh, still has to to pay. Um, you're, you say you're committed to uh, keeping in place uh, funding for critical services like social services and higher education. Uh, but what about regionalization? We hear that uh, that term time and time again, and there uh, is talk about the need for all of these 169 towns and cities and hamlets and villages to to come together and figure out a way to share services. Um, how would you push that if you're elected governor? I'd push that hard uh, with incentives, but I would push it. Uh, I respect our 169 towns and their feisty sense of independence, and uh, they're going to keep their uh, sovereignty. But when it comes to the back office and shared services, be that purchasing, um, be that IT, uh, be that the fact that we have um, – more superintendents and deputy superintendents and chiefs and deputy chiefs uh, really than almost any state uh, per capita because we have so many of these local towns and that drives up costs a lot. And um, give you one example um, when it comes to state aid to education, um, we're one of the very few states that actually pays more for administrators outside the classroom than teachers in the classroom. Again, too many very small school districts. So I'm going to do what I can in terms of shared services. That would drive down costs and I hope make a government a little more effective for people. You mentioned uh, incentives, so to try to uh, entice uh, towns to work together. Can you give me examples? Sure. Uh, two of you have uh, pretty small high schools and um, I know you'd like state funding to rebuild both those high schools. And, uh, you know, if you put those two high schools together, uh, like I think it's Derby and, and Sonia maybe, um, you know, that, that's something we could fund. And uh, that would mean you go from small school to a bigger school. That brings down the administrative costs uh, dramatically and makes a good difference. Join our conversation on where we live, the number 860-275-7266. Chuck's calling from Norwalk. Chuck, go ahead. Ned, thank you for being a voice of reason. We have uh, about eight cities, Hartford, New Haven, Hamden, East Haven, West Haven, and others who were all basically broke. Do you let them file and restructure like Waterbury did? What do you do with those cities? God, I'm getting tough questions here. <laughs> um, I would not have done it the way we did it uh, here in Hartford. I think um, that, uh, that bailout uh, favored bondholders and uh, bond insurance guys, and now the legislature is going, oh, my gosh, I don't know exactly what I voted on when I did that. You know, I will do a much better job of funding what the state's obligation is. That's ECS, cost sharing, so we can uh, um, continue to improve upon um, our contributions to um, uh, schools, especially those in the most distressed communities, and do a better job, uh, Chuck, on, um, on pilot as well, payment in lieu of taxes. Those are two obligations that um, the state has. So if I can do that, uh, on a more consistent basis. That helps a lot of those uh, towns you were talking about. But fundamentally, what I've got to do is um, it bring growth back to those communities and expand the grand list. Again, so you have more properties on that grand list that are, um, that are paying property tax. And one uh, to the communities you just mentioned there, here's, here's one uh, tangible idea that I'd like to work on very early, which is um, open up uh, Tweed Airport to more regional air service. I think that would be transformative to um, 
you know, East Haven and West Haven and some of the other communities that you mentioned there, as well as New Haven, open up that part of the state. And uh, that would mean a lot in terms of driving a business and jobs. Duncan's calling from New Canaan. Duncan, go ahead with your question. Duncan, are you there? Yeah. I'm Spencer. Is that who you're looking for? Duncan, are you, you want to ask a question of Ned Lamont? Go ahead. Yes, hi. Can you hear me? This is Spencer from New Canaan. Oh, I'm sorry. It said Duncan. My apologies. Go ahead, Spencer. Yeah, my question for Ned. You got hey, it. Ned, I think we, we know where you stand on um, a potential reform of the income tax, but I'm curious how you feel about the estate tax, which has been blamed for running uh, quite a few older residents uh, out of the state and uh, to Connecticut, uh, to Florida uh, in particular, uh, especially from Fairfield County? Well, first of all, we'll be raising the exemption on the estate tax. Uh, it's already in the books. Um, uh, I think next year or the year thereafter to $22 million. So that handles that issue for a lot of folks, but not necessarily in, in Greenwich, New Cain, in Darien and some other places. Uh, before I make any other big promises regarding the estate tax, um, I've got to deal with the uh, budget deficit uh, that I'm inheriting. And um, I'm asking a lot of people to um, make some changes and make some compromises. Uh, so this is the time for me to deal with our long-term pension obligations, our long-term health care obligations. Uh, and once I get things stabilized, then we can talk about some of the other changes we'd like to make, including the estate tax. Uh, you mentioned those obligations. Why not use the rainy day fund, which is something that uh, both uh, Stefanowski and Oz Griebel, the unaffiliated candidate, say that's what it's there for. It would help you cut down uh, the deficit. I think they're dead wrong on that. I think uh, this is the time you want to put your shoulder to the wheel and deal with a structural deficit once and for all and not kick the can down the road. And this is not what the rainy day fund is for. The rainy day fund is for when we've got a budget, it's in place, market crashes, something bad happens, and all of a sudden at the end of the year, uh, we didn't have the revenues there that we had um, uh, budgeted against. And the rainy day fund comes in and shores that up. That's what the rainy day fund is during a time when the clouds are out there and the skies are not as sunny. Right now, our economy is doing pretty well. This is the exact wrong time to punt, kick the can, and take from the rainy day fund. Other uh, revenue uh, streams that you have said that you want to explore include, I believe last time you were on, you said that you would support legalizing uh, recreational marijuana in the state of Connecticut? I do. Um, I do for you know a whole variety of reasons. Cat's out of the bag. Canada's done it. Massachusetts has done it. New York, New Jersey is about to do it. Um, it creates a certain disrespect for the law. I, th I think the laws are unfairly applied, um, sometimes against people of color. And I don't want this run by the black market anymore. I want to regulate it. I want to do it carefully. And uh, we can get a little bit of revenue out of there, which we can use towards opioid addiction treatment and some other important causes. Another uh, revenue generator uh, that uh, is not popular among a portion of Connecticut residents, and that's the, this idea of putting tolls on the roads, but you still uh, maintain that you'd only want to do that with trucks. I would. Um, hey, look, our, our transportation system is in gridlock. It's in disrepair. Uh, it, the folks who are calling from Fairfield County, they know it takes 10 minutes longer to take the train from um, you know, Stanford to New York than it did just a decade ago, so ago. They got to slow up over these 90-year-old trains. The gridlock on the highways is killing us. GE told us that, other guys that left. And you got to pay for it. 
You know, um, Bob says, uh, oh, oh, we'll pay for it by more borrowing. Uh, not going to happen. That's just the attitude that got us into this mess. So, yep, I've talked about putting uh, electronic troll tolls on the um, tractor-trailer trucks, just like they're doing in Rhode Island over the last seven or eight months. It would raise, Lucy, about $250 million. They pay those tolls in all the other states. Uh, they can help out here. Why does the Connecticut taxpayer have to pay 100 percent of um, you know, our road repair? I know it's not popular. Sorry, folks. It's the only honest solution I can think of. And when we brought this up in July with you, again, that was right when uh, the Truckers Association was um, filing their suit against uh, the state of Rhode Island, uh, saying that that uh, idea of only tolling tractor trailers, uh, it goes against the Commerce Clause. We'll see. They've uh, Obviously, uh, the big truckers don't like it too much, and they have brought a suit against Rhode Island, and I think that should be decided in the next uh, three or four months. Because we're talking about uh, transportation, we know that there is a question before voters about uh, the lockbox uh, that would uh, establish it to pay for transportation. And again, your opponents, uh, Stefanowski, would say that you know once you put that in place, the General Assembly will figure out a way to raid that money. Where do you stand on the lockbox? How do you know that's what he would say? <laughs> I don't know what he would say. But um, look, it's that's a good – That's what he said. That's what okay. he said. Yeah. It's, a, it's a good faith effort, the lockbox. Support it. Vote for it. Anything you can to keep the politicians' hands off that money because everybody knows the energy efficiency fund and the um, rainy day fund now and the uh, Green Bank. Uh, there's a habit of uh, taking money that's supposed to go to one um, cause and ends up going someplace else. Uh, is the lockbox a pick-proof? It is in my watch. I can promise you that. Ned Lamont's with us here on Where We Live. You can join our conversation. Find us on Facebook and add your question below the video stream, also on Twitter. I want to take a couple of more uh, calls before we run out of time. Debbie's calling from Litchfield. Debbie, go ahead. Hi. Um, yeah, I represent about 1,200 doctors in the state in um, medical specialties. And what we're seeing is the patient-physician um, relationship is eroded from the high deductibles that patients are um, paying. And we've presented bills, and I just wanted to know how you feel about that and if there's a way that we can address these high deductibles that are just killing families and having the insurers be, uh, taking the responsibility of collecting that rather than putting it on the backs of the physicians who are already taxed uh, with administrative burden. Well, first of all, Debbie, you're the type of person I want to have at the table when we're talking about health care reform, because um, I know what I know and I know where I, I, I can still learn. My my sense is that we're on the right track here in terms of, uh, you know, state health care, which is uh, moving more towards value based, not high deductibles. I want people to have incentives. I want them – I don't want them to be disincented. I want them to have incentives to take the meds and the treatment and things that keep them out of the emergency room, keep them out of the hospital. And I want to have our insurance companies aligned with the patients when it comes to keeping people healthy. And I think that's part of what your question is getting at. How can we get folks better aligned so we're all rowing in the same direction? High deductible doesn't necessarily do that. What about uh, the idea of single payer? Is that something uh, that's not feasible given where we stand on financial or financial footing in Connecticut, Ned? I, I think for the state of Connecticut to do that uh, is not very feasible. Uh, I'm very sympathetic to um, uh, at least allowing people to buy into Medicare at an earlier age, buy into Medicaid at an earlier age, open up. Uh, I like the exchanges. I'm a champion for Obamacare, by the way. And uh, I don't call it the Affordable Care Act ever since he endorsed me. I call it Obamacare. 
And, uh, you know, Donald Trump is trying to unwind that. Um, he's uh, walking away from people with pre-existing conditions. And, and Lucy, that's probably the number one question I get when I go around. If um, my son with autism, my, my husband with diabetes, will he have coverage if the federal government says um, insurance companies don't have to do it anymore? Governor Lamont says your family will still have coverage. Gus is calling from East Lyme. Gus, go ahead with your question. We just have a couple of minutes left. Hello? Yes, Gus, go ahead. Um, oh, you know what, Gus, unfortunately, your uh, phone line is staticky, but I am going to I think your question real, uh, was about uh, criminal justice. And then there is a tweet from Mel uh, who writes, Lamont has not released a comprehensive criminal justice reform platform detailing his plans for the future of the criminal justice system. Um, so he wants to know um, how you'll engage voters by publishing this platform. Well, engage voters by talking to you about it right now. I mean, everybody knocks Dan Malloy for a lot of things. He was a leader when it comes to criminal justice reform. We have tens of thousands of folks who would otherwise be um, in, in incarcerated um, with no opportunity. They are now, they've been trained, they have workforce plans, labor's been hiring them, they're getting good paying jobs. The recidivism rate is, um, is low and uh, more importantly, uh, the crime rate is low. I think it's working. It's something I'd like to continue. And by the way, taxpayers, it saved us probably a couple hundred million bucks. And Emily from Glastonbury, you're going to be our last caller before we run out of time. Go ahead. Great. Hi, Lucy and Ned. Thanks so much. Real quick, Ned, I'd love to hear about your plans for sustainability and green jobs. We are behind our New England neighbors, in particular Vermont and Maine. I'd love to hear. Um, I'm pretty sure Mother Nature is bipartisan. So (laughs) if you could share, that'd be great. Emily, we got to talk about that a lot more. We're a small state. We're a congested state. And um, we can do a lot in, uh, with ourselves. We can do a lot by working closely with the region. And I do need help from the federal government. When uh, Donald Trump rolls back efficiency standards, uh, rolls back clean water and clean, clean air standards, that does impact Connecticut. I'll tell you what I can do very specifically is um, we, we mentioned the Green Bank and we mentioned uh, the Energy Efficiency Fund. Those are two things that if I fund, we do a lot in terms of, A, uh, making our um, uh, electric generation renewable, uh, low carbon or no carbon, and also what serve over time to bring down the high price of electricity. I was on the board of the largest uh, residential energy efficiency company, putting people to work, insulating uh, homes and um, weatherizing those homes, saves those middle class families an awful lot of money saves them on electric costs, put thousands of people in our cities to work, Lucy, and by the way, reduces their carbon footprint. I want to take a lead on this. I've mentioned uh, your GOP uh, opponent several times, but there's also Oz Griebel, again, the unaffiliated candidate. Do you feel like he's a threat to your campaign? Sometimes I think we uh, divide up the sanity wing of the electorate, and um, so I think he probably does, um, you know, take some votes away from me. Uh, But and, and I think he's wrong on not confronting the fiscal crisis head on. But that said, I, I also think he's been somebody who's been civically minded, active in the state for a long time, thinks long and hard about these issues. Maybe if I can get him to come and join the administration. Who knows? With 11 days to go, would you ask Oz Griebel to step aside? I think that's probably a decision that Oz makes himself. But it does impact the election. Ned Lamont, again, is the Democratic-endorsed candidate for governor. Thank you so much for coming in again and answering questions of our listeners and viewers here on Where We Live. The pleasure is mine, Lucy. Thanks, everybody, for listening. 
This is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. All right, so we heard from Ned Lamont, and uh, now we're going to hear from our uh, longtime political analyst about his campaign and what we're going to expect to hear in the days leading up to November 6th, Election Day. From Connecticut Public Radio, this is where we live. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. As I just mentioned, uh, Election Day will be uh, here very quickly, 11 days to go. And we're going to wrap up our series of Connecticut gubernatorial candidate interviews on Monday with Amigo Constitution Party candidate Mark Stewart. On the next Where We Live, just what is the Amigo Constitution Party? Stewart's going to join us to explain, going to talk about his campaign and take your questions too. That's coming up Monday. Now, uh, today Where We Live, we heard from Ned Lamont again. He came on right before the primary. And uh, I want to welcome back to the studio our political analyst. First, Dr. Bilal Siku, Associate Professor of Political Science in Hilliard College at the University of Hartford. Bilal, welcome back. Good morning. And Dr. Jonathan Wharton, Assistant Professor of Political Science and Urban Affairs at Southern Connecticut State University. Nice to see you again. Thank you, Lucy. Of course, I'm wearing the wear on purpose. <laughs> Got the Southern represented. That's right, the Southern uh, shirt. And yep. I should mention, Jonathan also is political director for Kurt Miller, the GOP-endorsed candidate for Connecticut State Comptroller. But today he's here just to talk about the gubernatorial race. So how do you think uh, Ned did with the questions, including uh, how, what he thinks about uh, the Oz campaign, Jonathan? Well, we were both... <laughs> talking an awful lot in the green room because he was really fired up this morning. You gave him a cup of your coffee, didn't you? Because it, it was just amazing how he was completely different this time in terms of having a little bit more spunk, maybe to use his word, a little bit more fire this time. And and certainly the questions from the listeners directed that to be for him to be more responsive. So uh, the whole question about the odds and whether he could be part of the administration, I think that's something we've raised a couple times in terms right. of that possibility, right, yeah. in a couple of the shows, because there is that concern out there that this is a real possibility of why Oz is putting himself out there is to make an effort to be a part of the administration if, if Ned Lamont were to be elected. Yeah, I think Oz wants to be governor of, of, of Connecticut, but I think certainly it was an interesting moment to hear what sounded like a job offer, you know, being mm-hmm. made to Oz if if this if his uh, run for the governorship doesn't work out. And I agree with you. This was uh, hard hitting. I, I laughed out loud when he made the comment about how he took on Malloy and Bob Stefanowski didn't even vote that year, so <laughs> this was a, a uh, this was a Ned Lamont that a came out Ned. ready to fight. Not yeah. to mention also backing up Susan Bicewitz because that's the big question, saying, yeah. "Well, you know, she's the Hartford insider, I'm the outsider." And I was right. like, I've, "I've never heard that assessment because yeah. the concern still resonates about what to do about Eva." Yeah, because going back to your main point, Lucy, and we said this over and over again, she did have that momentum. Eva Zimmerman did among younger Democrats, even independents, saying, "Wow, a new fresh face. Why not a union leader?" And then right. it seemed like she was snubbed. But then on the other hand, it's like, oh, Susan Bicewitz is somebody who could be helpful. So to hear that yeah. spin was different. I mean, that was a calculation that I thought from the very beginning when he chose her to be his running mate. Mm-hmm. I, I said to myself, this is someone who knows the state, you know, the legislature knows how this place works, um, still has connections up there, understands it in a way that it, Annette described himself as an outsider, someone who comes from the business community. And so from that standpoint, to me, this is one of the risks when we bring in outsiders like a Ned Lamont or a Bob Stefanowski who really don't understand how the Connecticut legislature works. And so needing someone who has that experience and that skill set can be quite essential for their um, success. 
But for him to be outspoken about it was interesting. Yeah. I want to go back to one of my first questions to him about how he's reaching black and Hispanic voters and also what his outreach is like mm. in the cities. Uh, Jonathan, you're down in the New Haven area. I am. Is Ned Lamont visible enough down there? Well, that's the big debate. And and I have even asked that, you know, among some Democrats. Um, you don't see the signage as much as I thought uh, around there right now. And certainly I've not seen the presence of Tony Harp out there, you know, as a mayor. And some people have said the same thing about Mayor Ganim in Bridgeport. So I, I wonder what point will we see that? And um, in talking to some people, they're saying, well, there could be a possibility this can happen at the last minute. There is a tendency in urban areas where that will happen maybe the week before the election. And I think you'll see that coming from the unions, especially, Lucy. Yeah. You know, one of the things that's been great for me at, an at a personal level from listening and participating in all of these interviews is it's been a kind of civics lessons, lesson for me. But it, one of the things that has really sort of impressed upon me is that all of these candidates have, have not done something I think is really crucial, needs to be done, is to really develop a vision of the future of Connecticut. Mm. Not one that just simply addresses the short-term challenges. Connecticut is a state that has some of the poorest cities in the country, um, which means that the demands on social services within the state are going to continue to be huge. And so... Whoever wins this race needs to come up with a vision for the future of Connecticut that tries to close the gap between central cities and suburbs and rural areas to create jobs in cities, to build up infrastructure, make Connecticut a place that young people will want to stay because the cities are happening, make Connecticut a place that companies will want to come because we've got great universities, great infrastructure, great transportation. And to me, that vision is just something that none of these candidates have really laid out. It's an uh, issue that's true and near to my heart, um, and I guess I'm just saying that's a nutmegger. Um, I, I, I hear this from my students over and over again. I'm sure you do as well, right. Professor, yeah. <laughs> that they're concerned about the future and what you're saying, and, and, and yet we're hopeful that these candidates and other candidates, even down-ballot candidates and even the state House and Senate candidates would offer the same kind of vision, but we're not seeing an emphasis on that. Right. Um, it really seems to be more about the economy than anything else. Right. Right. We were talking about um, the effect of Oz's candidacy on Ned Lamont, but I know the, G the Connecticut GOP has a new ad out um, that says that a vote for Oz is a vote for Ned. So does that show that they are worried about some Republicans or unaffiliated voters who might lean Republican um, would go for an Oz Griebel? I think we saw that in the last poll, right? I mean, that he is taking away votes from both sides, but more from Stefanowski. But still, Ned Lamont, they're still, and you heard that in the interview. Right. They know he's a concern. They know he's on the radar for both parties. And he, he said that's an issue. Yeah. I mean, and certainly where that can be critical if some of those votes he's drawn away from Lamont are votes that would come from, say, the Hartford region, right. as an example. That's a good point. And, and other central cities. And so, you know, definitely... Um, that's something to watch to see how this actually plays out. Actually, to bring that up, even, Lucy, you bring up something that's interesting. I wonder what that percentage is for Oz supporters are coming from the urban areas. Because I think that's coming more, I bet you it's coming more from the suburbs and, and the, maybe some rural voters, if I were to venture guess. But yes, definitely for sure the Hartford area. 
You're hearing Jonathan Wharton, Assistant Professor of Political Science and Urban Affairs at Southern Connecticut State University, in studio with me, as well as Dr. Bilal Siku, Associate Professor of Political Science in Hilliard College at the University of Hartford. You can join our conversation, too, 860-275-7266. I was surprised uh, that uh, Ned, uh, the way he responded to the poll question, he actually almost sounded, I hate to say it, uh, he sounded like when Dan Malloy is asked about poll numbers, showing that you know he's, his approval rating is below uh, 20%. Uh, Ned says that who cares, but isn't that what campaigns are doing, yeah. is polling, polling, polling? I actually just grinned to, when you said that because I was looking at my notes and that was what I was about to bring up. Um, it was the most interesting moment, I think, of the interview when he said, ah, the polls don't matter. I'm not paying. And I thought to myself, what politician doesn't pay attention to polls? And so certainly he's paying attention to polls. Certainly he's worried about how this race has now a move from, I think he had an eight-point lead to a race now where the margin of error could be either in Stefanowski's favor or in his favor. And so certainly he's paying attention. Um, I think the way he came into this interview, the way he threw punches, the way he tossed Malloy under the bus a couple of times, you know, clearly indicates that he's in a fighting mode. He understands that between now and Election Day that he's in the fight for his life if he wants to win this race. And, and, and not to mention one thing we're, we're overlooking in these polls. We still have that factor of 15 percent undecided voters. I'm telling you from the beginning, there are these people at the last minute we don't know about. And remember, the bulk of voters, I will still say, uh, you know, are, you know, Obviously, uh, you know, they're undecided. They're, right. they're not affiliated with the political party. That's yeah. the issue at the end of the day. How are they going to show up if they show up? But when he gave that reply about the polls, he also said something I think is very, very true. This election will be about turnout. And so yes. the, the question of whether you're able to turn out your voters on both sides both sides will be crucial um, to this. Um, and as I, you know, someone who has been a big advocate for early voting, um, I'm sitting around wondering to myself what this would look like if we actually had early voting in Connecticut where people were actually could get out there and vote early like they're doing in, in 29 other states across the country. So that's something we need to bring to the floor here in Connecticut as well. Mm. Be interesting to see among other reforms. Uh, both of you <laughs> have uh, said that you were impressed with uh, Ned Lamont this time around here on Where We Live. Um, I would say I was impressed. I said I was probably <laughs> shocked. It's like, where did this come uh, from? Putting words I into it on your, your mouth. <laughs> it, it, was the, it was the energy. Yeah. It was an, an energy, an energy, and a fight yeah. that I think people have raised questions about whether he had it in him. And clearly with, uh, what, a week and a half or so left to go, mm -hmm. he is in fight mode. But do you think that um, he could be more polished at this point in his uh, uh, political aims uh, to become uh, the next uh, governor of the state of you Connecticut? Know, three statewide races. I don't know how much more polished you can become. Um, at, at this stage, after three runs, this is who you are. And whatever limitations you have, they are part of who you are as a candidate. And certainly he has grown over the years with every effort to run um, for, for office. And where you think about the Lieberman race, it was really a one-issue race that, that really stood out for him. And he's evolved as a candidate since then. And we'll see. Lucy, I've said from the beginning, we don't have enticing or charismatic statewide candidates that often. I, I mean, can you remember anybody who has been running for governor? I mean, what, Tom Foley, Dan Malloy? I mean, who? I mean, Ouch. this is the problem, you know? Ouch. It, but it's true. It's like, come on. And then hold it up. This is the best part about Connecticut, right? It's the land of steady habits. We run them multiple times. It's like, how many times can you run? And it doesn't matter. And so I'm always looking for that kind of retail politics kind of candidate. And we just don't 
What's going on? This is Connecticut. Well, I mean, at the same time, it's really good because both Stefanowski and Lamana talked about, over, you know, the next few days of this campaign. They're going to be out there on the road meeting people. And yes. so some of that retail politics hopefully will occur. At the last minute. <laughs> oh, uh, the GOP candidate Bob Stefanowski announced yesterday he's, his bus, do- bus tour is starting right. on Saturday, 52 stops. Uh, uh, what do you expect to see from Ned Lamont in the days ahead? In terms of response? In terms of a ground game. Well, I think that's when the unions kind of will step up, I'm willing to bet, right? Because that's who I've heard directly from from a couple uh, Democratic leaders, at least, is that and that's what they do effectively. It's just a matter of can that, going back to your earlier issues, can that resonate among Latino and and black voters in the urban areas? I just don't see it. So I'm just curious if, if that could be a possibility. The interesting thing is that with Safnowski especially, I think he does have that appeal among suburban voters, at least in that way. And going back to even Ned's point, he said this in the beginning, you know, everybody's fed up. They're, they're sick of it, both parties. And he did say that. So what does that mean in terms of, you know, both bus tours? Can they kind of tap that and say, show up on our side? Maybe at the last minute they could pull that out, either side. I don't know. Well, some of that begins today. I guess Joe Biden is in town. And so when I came in this morning, I heard Ned on the phone making a, you know, talking to people about that um, visit to the state. And so certainly he is in campaign, full campaign mode and will be out there on the road. And this is good for voters. Hopefully we can get some excitement from voters in the state that they will turn out on Election Day. I'm particularly interested in what our students will do this time oh, around. And I the know. hope is that they will turn out. I know last few days yes. there's been a lot of activity on campus trying to register students to vote. And so not only do we need to get students registered, we also need them to, get tur- to turn out to vote. And we need to make it easy for them to be able to do that. We've been seeing a lot more signage on our campus and around our campus, by the way, from both campaigns. So it's interesting. Now this seems maybe we'll be interested. God, right. I hope so. I pray. Because in many ways, when we think about the future of this state and we think about the issues that really are out there, these are issues that do impact young people. And so they need to be at the polls. They need to turn out to vote. Uh, you mentioned uh, labor having more of a presence in these last uh, several days. Uh, in one way, could that also hurt Ned Lamont? Because often uh, his opponents would say labor is uh, one of the reasons we're here, which you know we don't agree with, right? But I mean, that's what's being said out there. He can't win this race without strong labor support. And so, you know, any worries he may have about how people will respond to a strong presence of labor out there making phone calls and mobilizing on his on his behalf, I think he needs to just push to the side because he just will not win without their support. But he's got to find a way of making a charismatic message and connect that, though. And I don't know if that's really coming down to the, mm-hmm. you know, the, the grassroots on that it's end. not enough time to... Speaking of time, we're out of time. So Dr. Balasi Q from University of Hartford and Dr. Jonathan Wharton from Southern Connecticut State University. Always a pleasure. Thanks again for coming in. Thank you. Go Owls. Go Hawks. (laughs) Today's show produced by Lydia Brown. I'm Lucy Nalpathanchel. Thanks for listening.